I think Walt mentioned it, uh, but let me say again, I had a question or two uh, in the first service tonight. Some of our regulars from Monday night wanted to know where they were supposed to put their offering. I've never had anybody ask me where they could put their offering, but there are, the baskets are at the doors. We're not taking the offering uh, um, on Christmas Eve, but those of you that are regulars and you're worried about where you can put your offering, uh, we'd be glad to take it. So it's over there by the door. Um, in this church, we believe that the Bible is the infallible Word of God, the only rule for our faith and our life. And tonight we're going to look at one of the most familiar passages in Scripture from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. There are some up here on either side of the platform, and of course the uh, Scripture will be on the screen as well. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Serenius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up uh, from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great, host of the heaven, uh, great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Well, welcome to Christmas Eve at Renovation, the 10 o'clock service, 10 o'clock rendition of Christmas Eve at Renovation. For the past month or so, the world has been focused on, on one singular event, and that event is Christmas, of course. An event that happened over 2,000 years ago in the Middle East in a little town called Bethlehem with no fanfare whatsoever. But today, we find ourselves 2,000 years later, and this event can still stop traffic. It even closed down McDonald's. I don't think I've ever seen them closed at this time. How can that be? What's so special? What's so special about Christmas? Why is it that the most celebrated holiday on the planet is Christmas? Why is it that this week literally billions of people shut down their workplaces, go to a service, have a party, 
gather in their homes to celebrate this event, this Christmas. What makes Christmas special after all? Why Christmas? Why Christmas? And in this service, we're going to look at the purposes, the reasons, the whys of Christmas. Why do we celebrate Christmas? At the very first Christmas, the, the birth of Jesus, an angel announced three things. And in those three statements of the angel, we find the three purposes or the three whys of Christmas that we're going to look at tonight. Christmas is celebration. Christmas is a time for salvation. And Christmas is a time for reconciliation. And we're going to look at how these three words, these three things that the angel said, can change your life beginning this very night. Luke 2, chapters 8 through 10 again say this. And there were shepherds out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news. I bring you good news of great joy. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. So the first why of Christmas is celebration. Celebration. You see, it's a party. I bring you good news of great joy. Actually, it's a birthday party. At Christmas time, we have more parties, I read, than any other time during the year. Yet it's ironic that the guest of honor is so often not allowed to attend the party. We forget him entirely. Christmas is a birthday party for Jesus. It's why we say, Merry Christmas. Now, I don't want to shock you, but, but God loves parties. God is into parties. Read the Bible. There's a lot of parties that took place there. In fact, the Bible says that the angels in heaven have a party. Every time one person, one single person here on earth, turns his life over to Jesus. I saw an interviewer on TV this week asking people this question. What are you going to be celebrating this Christmas? And this is what some of the people said. The first one, the blessings that we've had in our family this year. Being home and not being on the road for the holidays. We're going to celebrate family. This Christmas, I'm celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. Nothing, nothing at all. I just want to get through it, was what the last guy said. I think a lot of people feel that way about the Christmas season altogether. I just want to get through it. Is it over yet? Can we move on? Some of you may be in the service right now thinking, I just want to get through it. <laughs> Christmas, you see, is a party. We're supposed to celebrate, but sometimes we're so busy. We're so busy preparing, so busy getting ready, so busy buying presents, so busy planning that we don't have or don't take time to enjoy and celebrate Christmas. 
We lose the joy of what the season is all about. Why Christmas? It's a celebration. Why do we celebrate? Because it's a party. The angel said, I bring you good news of great joy, and it's for everybody. Well, what's the good news? It's not what you think I'm going to say the good news is. The good news of Christmas is the three things that we celebrate. When God sent Jesus to the earth, he sent him to proclaim these three things to his people. The first, God loves you. God loves you. That's good news. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world, you, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's good news. That's why Jesus, I want God sent Jesus to the earth. Jesus was sent on a mission of love. Christmas is God saying to you, I love you. I love you. The Bible says that God is love. It doesn't say God has love. It says God is love. And the reason that you're alive here today is that you were created as, a, as an object of God's love. God made you to love you. And He loves you on your good days, and He loves you on your bad days. He loves you when you feel it, and He loves you when you don't feel it. He loves you when you think you deserve it, and He loves you when you don't think you deserve it. His love, thankfully, is not based on how you feel. It's based on who He is. God is love. Not only does God love you, but secondly, God is with you. You may not feel that, but it has nothing to do with your feelings. He's with you all the time. Hebrews 13.5 from the New Living Translation says this, God assured us, I will never let you down. I will never walk off and leave you. As we looked at yesterday, the Bible says that one of Jesus' names is Emmanuel, God with us. Did you know that, that God hates loneliness? He hates loneliness. That's, that's why he said when he created the first human being, Adam, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. Now, whether you get married or, or stay single, that, that's not the issue at all. The issue is you need people in your life. And more than that, you need God in your life. The reason that you feel lonely is because you're disconnected from God. And the good news is this. God says, I not only love you, but I'm also going to be with you all the time. That means that you don't have to face any issue in 2013 alone. God's going to be there with you. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to worry, well, what's going to happen? Because God's going to give you hope. 
He's going to be there with you. If you're lonely this, this particular Christmas, turn to Jesus Christ and sense that relationship in your heart. God not only loves you, He's not only with you, but the third thing the angel said is that God is for you. And that's great news also. God's on your side. He wants you to win. He wants you to be successful. In fact, Jesus said this in John three seventeen. He said, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. I talk to so many people that are actually afraid of God. And you might find yourself here tonight afraid of God. Maybe you get nervous when people just start talking about Jesus. You know why? I, th I think it's guilt. I think it's guilt because guilt separates us from God. You may think, well, if I get close to God, He's going to scold me. He's going to remind me of all those things I've done that I shouldn't have done. He's going to bring up every one of those things that I did that I, I wished I had never done. But this verse, John 3, 17, says, I didn't come to scold you. I came to save you. That's good news. You can celebrate Christmas because God says to you, I not only love you, I'm not only with you, but I am also for you. And just think about it. If God is for you, who can be against you? That's the first why of Christmas. Celebration. It's good news of great joy for everybody. I don't care whether you're Catholic or Protestant or Jewish or Muslim or Mormon or Hindu or Buddhist or Baptist or nothing at all. It doesn't matter. It's good news of great joy for all people. So the second why of Christmas... I think that video kind of boils it down to this is that uh, regardless of the external things the second why of Christmas is salvation and that's actually the second thing that the angels mention when they announce the birth of Christ if we look at Luke 2 uh, verse 11 it says today in the town of David a savior has been born to you and he is Christ the Lord and when we see the word Savior, uh, obviously that's where the idea of salvation comes in. The Savior is the one doing the saving, right? The, the salvation work is done by the Savior. And then it says this Savior has been born to you. And once again, just as we've said over the last several weeks through the month of December, these are personal words. Has been born to you. You see... I've always thought that it was interesting that God chose a group of shepherds to reveal this information to. You see, shepherds were not exactly on the high end of the uh, celebrity totem pole, so to speak, back in those days. Shepherds were just ordinary grunt workers 
pretty much forgotten not really a big deal to anybody and yet God sent this message seemingly first to them as if to say this is a message for not just the high end of society not just for the ones whose uh, whose names are up in lights but this message is for the ordinary everyday day in day out unnoticed people like me that's who he sent this to and it's backwards from what we would do but this is the salvation message and this is how it was sent you see salvation is three dimensional it's, it's a 3D thing when we think about it there, there are three uh, elements three dimensions to salvation you see you are saved you and I we're saved from something we're saved for something and we're saved by something now the first one there we're saved from something you see you're saved from your sin as a matter of fact that's actually what Jesus's name means to rescue or to save people from their sin George talked about that uh, quite extensively yesterday about how the very name of Jesus actually uh, echoes through all of eternity rescue redeemer saver the very the very name that was given to him was literally telling us that he was here to save us from our sins in fact joseph was told this in a dream matthew 121 give him the name jesus because he will save his people from their sin and that's that's what jesus means now i don't know about you and me or i, I do know about you and me actually we don't really like thinking about this idea of sin um, we don't really like talking much about it uh, it's something that we're a lot it's a lot easier to point out in someone else a lot of times right than it is to sort of deal with in me maybe you're not like me but that's me it's I'm, I really recognize it a lot more in others right I go wow that they really need to get that together don't they you know when the truth of the matter is if I'm willing to look inside my heart there's some there's some dark corners there's some places in my heart that you know what I'm not really proud of either and the truth be told if I came out and started listing all of my faults to the people closest to me like like my wife and my closest friends they're probably not going to go you're kidding me I had no idea that you that that was really how, that was your nature that's how you are I, I, I thought you were perfect no chances are they're going to go glad you finally came to that realization we've kind of known this all along right and I've got a hunch that you're probably a lot like me if we're really honest we know that in there somewhere deep down in places that we don't want to admit in places that we don't even really like thinking about the fact that God knows about that we know we're sinners because sin is ultimately missing the mark sin is not just as we've said in the, the choosing Christmas series it's not just well I never murdered anybody right I mean give me a break never murdered anybody sin is missing the mark of perfection and the bad news of all that is that we were actually born throwing the dart at the wrong direction <laughs> right we were born into this 
And Paul echoes this in Romans 7, 24 through 25. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. You see, his name means to save people from their sin. He was the mark hitter, right? He never missed the mark. And then he came to actually give us the opportunity to be forgiven and saved and rescued. Secondly, we said you're saved from something, you're saved from your sin. Secondly, you're saved for something. You're saved for a purpose. You're saved for a purpose. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, God saved us and he called us to be his own people, not because of what we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. You see, if, if you've never heard this before, and many of you have, but maybe it's never sunk in, God fashioned you and created you for a purpose. You are an instrument and a tool in the hands of God if you are willing and available to be used. He has a task for your life. And it's greater. Here's the thing. It's greater than your own selfish gain. It's greater than your name and lights and your fame and your notoriety and your riches and your glory. It's His glory that your life's destiny is connected to. And there's no greater glory. And there's many of you in here that would stand up here right now this evening and say, Walt, you're right. I've chased fame. I've chased money. I've chased women or men or whatever it might be. I've chased it all. I've filled up my life with whatever. And you know what? It never satisfies me. It never fills me up. I always, always, always have to have more. Because your life's purpose is tied into something that is an empty well. But what Jesus has come to do is he's come to say, I want to fill up that hole in your heart and give you a purpose that won't leak. That's what, that's what Christmas is, guys. It's, we're saved for a purpose. And then third, you are saved by God's grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about um, a guilty criminal standing before a judge. He is clearly, clearly going to go to jail for the rest of his life. And the judge comes around and says, you know what? I'm actually going to admit right here in front of everyone, you know what? You are guilty. You are guilty. But I'm going to pardon you. And then I'm going to come around and I'm actually going to take you into my home and treat you as one of my family members. You see, that's grace because God stood as judge and said you're guilty <laughs> you and I we're guilty but he not only says you're forgiven he says you're forgiven and, I, and you're my family I'm going to call you son I'm going to call you daughter I've purchased you to be in my family 
and you see Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. This is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You see, that criminal's not standing on the corner the next day talking to somebody like, let me tell you what I did, right? I was pretty clever. No, 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 he realizes that it was grace, the grace of that judge that changed his life. So the second why of Christmas second why is that Christmas is all about salvation for me and you. I'm going to tell you up front that as we conclude this last section, we're going to light candles uh, to um, a Christmas carol that you all know, uh, Joy to the World. And I want to give you a little candle lighting etiquette so that you'll be ready. You can be thinking about this the whole time I'm talking. Uh, the person that has a lit candle will hold that candle upright like this, straight up and down. The person that wants to light his candle will be the one that turns it on its side so that it lights real easily like this. So be thinking about that. We'll give you the cue in a little bit, and you can see how well you can do with that. The first why of Christmas is celebration. I bring you good news of great joy. It's for everybody. The second why of Christmas is salvation. For unto you is born this day a Savior, and He's Christ the Lord. And the third why of Christmas is reconciliation. That's the third thing that the angel said on that very first Christmas, verses 13 and 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Let there be peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That's called reconciliation. What is reconciliation? Well, it's, it's restoring a broken rela relationship. When a boyfriend and a girlfriend get back together. When a husband and wife get back together. That's, that's reconciliation. When a father and son reconcile with one another. They restore harmony. They restore peace between themselves. Where do you need peace and reconciliation in your life this Christmas Eve? That's what Christmas is all about. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. There was another interviewer this week that asked people, uh, where do you need peace? Where do we need peace, I think is the way he put it. And here's what these people said. Peace? Everywhere, I guess. I'd like to see peace everywhere. I'd like to see peace in the broken families. I'd like to see peace in politics. I'd like to see peace with each other. A peace in my heart. I'd like to see peace in my home. I'd like to see peace in my life. Peace right now in this country. That's where I'd like to see peace. And then the last one said, everywhere. Everywhere? Is it really realistic 
to think that peace can happen everywhere. It, isn't it kind of a pipe dream to pray and hope for peace on earth and goodwill toward men after all? There will never be peace in the world until there's peace in nations. And there will never be peace in nations until there's peace in communities. And there will never be peace in communities until there's peace in families. And there will never be peace in families until there's peace in individuals. And there will never be peace in individuals until we, as individuals, invite the Prince of Peace to reign in our lives, in our hearts. And Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. What kind of peace does, does Jesus make possible to us at Christmas time and then, of course, throughout the year? What kind of peace? Well, there's three kinds of peace, very quickly, that, that are talked about in the Bible. First, you need peace with God. Peace with God. I don't know if you realize this or not. We've talked about this a few times at Renovation. But if you're trying to live your life without God, you're really at war with God. If you're saying, I'm going to run my own life and I'm going to do my own thing, forget you, God. I'm going to make my own decisions, thank you very much. Then you're at war with God. And what you need is a peace treaty with God. You need reconciliation because that relationship with Him is, is broken down. Jesus Christ came to be that bridge over those troubled waters to be that reconciler between God and man. He says, I'm going to completely wipe out everything you've ever done wrong. You're completely forgiven. Now, come home to me. Romans 5.1 in today's English version says, Now that we have been put right with God through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you made peace with God? You might ask, how do I do that? How can I make peace? Well, you don't do it by promising to do good. And you don't do it by being perfect because you can't be perfect. And you don't do it by not sinning because you will. And I will. Everybody will. You make peace, this verse says, through faith. Through faith. Faith in God's grace. That's how you make peace. And once you make uh, peace with God, that's called spiritual peace. Then second, you need the peace of God in your heart. And that's emotional peace. That's the kind of peace that we need every day to get through our daily lives. All of a sudden, you see, the stress goes down in your life. You're just not as angry as you used to be. You don't get ticked off at the things that used to tick you off so much. You don't get bugged by everything. You're a lot more patient. You're filled with a lot more love and peace than you used to be. Why is that? Because now you have the peace of God in your heart when you have peace with God through faith. Philippians Chapter 4, verses 6 through 7 in the New Living Translation says it like this. 
Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. He's saying, you've really got two choices in life. You can pray or you can panic. That's your two choices. You can worry or you can worship. And if you prayed as much as you worry, you'd have a whole lot less to worry about in your life. Worry in my life has never solved a single problem for me, and I dare say it hadn't solved a problem for you either. Worry is really worthless. It's like stewing without doing. Prayer, on the other hand, can change things. So don't worry, Paul says, as he goes on with the Scripture. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all that He's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Once you make peace with God, and then you get the peace of God in your heart, the third thing you need is you need to start making peace with other people. God says, I want you to be a peacemaker. I want you to be a reconciler. The Bible even calls this the ministry of reconciliation. I've had the pleasure of going around the world several times, and in all the countries that I've ever visited, there's one common denominator that I see, and that's conflict conflict everywhere between husbands and wives between young people and the older generation whatever that is in that country between ethnic groups religious groups language groups between the nations around them the greatest need in our nation and in the world today is reconciliation peace on earth goodwill Toward men. And God says to you and to me, be a peacemaker. Jesus said it like this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. If you're really a child of God, if you're really a Christ follower, follower if you really know Jesus and you know the Prince of Peace... You're going to be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker, at your workplace. You're going to be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker, at school. You're going to be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker, in your home. You're going to build people up, not tear them down. You're going to compliment more than you criticize. You're going to love people the way that Jesus loves people. You're going to be a peacemaker. And Christmas is the perfect time to show grace to other people. We're reminded of the grace that God showed to us in that He gives us what we need and not what we deserve. Who do you need to rebuild a relationship with? this Christmas? Who do you need to restore a relationship with, one that's been broken this Christmas? Who do you need to reconcile with this Christmas? That's the spirit of Christmas, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. 
Now you sit there and say, I can't do it. I, I, I can't do it. You say, I can't let go of it. They hurt me too bad. I can't forgive them. And I'm going to say to you, you know, you're exactly right. You can't. That's why you need Jesus. You don't have it in you to let it go. I don't have it in me to let it go. That's exactly why you're still holding on to it. You need to be filled with the love of Christ and the peace of Christ. And until that happens, you're not going to have the ability to let it go. Some of you sitting here tonight are allowing other people from your past to hurt you in your present. That doesn't have to be the case. They can't hurt you anymore unless you allow them to hurt you by hanging on to that hurt. It's hurting you more than it's hurting anybody else. You need to let it go. But in order to let it go, you're going to have to let Jesus fill your heart with his love so that you can love other people the way that he loves you. You're not here by accident. God knew before you were born that you were going to be here in this room this Christmas Eve. In fact, before God created the universe, God already knew that He was going to create you, what you would look like, the purpose He would have in mind for your life, every detail about you. And before you were even born, He knew that on December the 24th, 2012, you'd be sitting here so that He could get your attention for just a few seconds so that he could tell you this. He would love to say to you, I've seen every hurt in your life, and I've never stopped loving you. You matter to me. I love you. I love you more than you will ever know. I made you to love you. I've been watching and waiting for you to love me back. I want you to know me. I want the rest of your life to be the best of your life. I love you. I'm with you. And I'm for you. I want to save you from your past. I want to save you for a purpose, the purpose that I created you for. And I want to save you by my grace. If you'll let me do that, I'll give you peace with me. My peace and peace with other people. But you've got to open the door. You've got to receive the Christmas gift. Now, if I were to get a Christmas gift from you this Christmas, and I never opened it, in the first place, you'd be disappointed. You'd probably be hurt. And, and secondly, it would be a worthless gift because I would receive no benefit from it because I hadn't opened it up. Jesus Christ is God's Christmas gift to you. To you. Yet you've gone Christmas after Christmas after Christmas after Christmas after Christmas and never opened 
the biggest gift under the tree, the gift of salvation, God's gift to you. Why even bother celebrating Christmas if you're not going to open the biggest gift under the tree? Open it tonight. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is found in the, the message uh, transliteration of the Bible, Acts 10.35, and it says this, It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and you're ready to do as He says, the door is open. I grew up in a little town that had a railroad track that ran through the middle of town, and we used to talk about the people that lived on the other side of the tracks. They were somehow less than us. And I'm certain that the people on the other side of the tracks talked about us on our side of the tracks as less than them. This verse says it doesn't matter what side of the tracks you live on. doesn't matter who your family is. doesn't matter whether you're poor or wealthy. doesn't matter about your education doesn't matter how you dress. Nothing matters. Nothing matters. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. If you want God and you're ready to do as you know He wants you to do, well, the door's open. The gift is there. The gift is ready for you to open up. Christmas is not, it's not about religion. Walt told you that a couple of weeks ago during the play. God didn't send Jesus here to give us religion. We don't need any more religion, praise the Lord. He sent Jesus so you could have a personal relationship with Him. Christmas is all about relationship. Christmas is good news. My mama told me something when I was growing up that has forever changed my life. She played the piano at our little church at 3rd and Pine Street for 37 years. She tried to teach me to play the piano, <laughs> but I wasn't very good. She would teach me the names of the notes, what a major key is, what a minor key is. She tried to teach me musical theory, but I was just bored. Then, one day, she told me that the best news in the world is found by playing a simple scale on the piano. I had no idea what she meant, so she told me to play an eight-note scale. So I did. I said, how is that good news? And she said I played it incorrectly and that I needed to play it the other way. So I did. Again, I said, how is that good news? And she said, I played it the right way, but I needed to add the pauses. The pauses? She said, the pauses. Add them on the first, second, fourth, sixth, seventh, and last note. Now, I was frustrated and said, how can eight notes with random pauses be the best news in the world? Then I got up, walked away, and went outside. Frankly, I didn't care what she was talking about. I didn't like playing the piano anyway. Well, years later, my mama got sick and passed away. 
As I was thinking about her, I remembered what she told me about the piano. Not only that, I still remember the notes she told me to pause. The first, second, fourth, sixth, seventh, and last note. So I sat down at her piano and played the scale with the pauses. That's when I realized the good news she was talking about. Yeah. 